please pray with me. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. At the end of her sermon last week, Pastor Colleen encouraged us to pause along with the author of Hebrews in the throne room of God. And as we continue in Hebrews this week, we are still there in the throne room as the author reminds us that we have unprecedented access to the Lord. So we're going to continue our journey in Hebrews chapter 10, and you can find this in your bulletin, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The author reminds us that we can have confidence to enter the sanctuary of God. We have shifted metaphors slightly from the verses preceding, and we're now talking about the wilderness tabernacle, where there was an outer tent for the priests to perform their regular duties and a separate inner tent where the priest entered just once a year to perform the duties required of him. Even most of the priests did not enter this inner sacred space where God was present, especially not on a regular basis. They didn't have the confidence to enter, but really they didn't have the right to enter as well. See, back in Exodus 20, the people of Israel had the opportunity to draw near to God themselves. And they had just left Egypt. They had just crossed the Red Sea. They had seen all of the amazing things that God had done to set them free. Moses had just received the commandments and he was giving them to the people. And God was present there, revealing his presence through thunder and lightning, through smoke on the mountain. These Israelites, had seen God act in a powerful way to deliver them out of slavery in Egypt and knew that God was powerful. But they should also have known that God was on their side. He set them free after all. But instead of running toward the God that set them free, they were paralyzed by their fear. They were too afraid to walk forward and approach the throne of God. They seem to fear that God is going to destroy them if they draw near. And I couldn't help but picture the opening scene from The Emperor's New Groove. If you haven't seen it and you want to, you can find it on YouTube. You can search for Emperor's New Groove and threw off groove. And, and you can see the scene I'm going to describe. 
In the scene, Emperor Cusco has summoned Pacha. He's a villager to come to the palace. Pacha doesn't know why, he's just received the summons. And as he's arriving, Emperor Cusco is dancing to a song written all in celebration of himself. And he is thoroughly enjoying the celebration of his greatness and everything that he is about. As he dances around the palace all over the place, he bumps into an old man who is walking with a cane and sees the emperor coming but can't move out of the way near fast enough to get out of Emperor Cusco's path. As Emperor Cusco turns around, the old man starts shaking in fear and the emperor proclaims, you threw off my groove. As a punishment, the soldiers come and throw the old man out the window. So you see him fly, flying out and the scene cuts. And Pacha is walking up to the palace. He's just gotten directions for where he goes. And a shoe drops on his head. And the old man taps him on the shoulder, says, pardon me, that's mine. So Pacha hands him the shoe. He says, here you go. Thank you. You're welcome. He starts to walk away. And really quickly realizes there's an old man suspended from a decorative banner hanging upside down and rushes back to him and releases him from the banner and puts him on the ground and asks what happened. The old man explains he threw off the emperor's groove. Pacha says, I'm on my way to meet him. He shakes Pacha, don't throw off his groove, and shaking, humbles, humbly walks away. And the, emperor, the Israelites think that God is like Emperor Cusco. He's just waiting for any reason to throw them out the window and get rid of them. Because really, that's what he wants. It's all about kind of what is going on and how he's angry. And so they refuse to draw near even with Moses' encouragement. They stand at a distance and send Moses over to talk to God for them. And we end up with the whole system that is set up with the priests speaking to God for the people because they're filled with fear. But God's not really like that. And in the book of Hebrews, we see that God has decided once and for all to get rid of all of the things, whether it's fear or the system he set up to deal with our fear and bring us directly into connection with God's self. We have a very different reality that characterizes us as people of God after the work of Jesus and his blood shed on the cross. The author tells us that Christ has opened a new and living way through his blood. And Colleen's been talking to us about the blood of Christ and how it has set us free for so many weeks. And yet we have an even greater privilege than that because we're reminded again that Jesus has opened a way through the curtain this curtain hangs in the temple and separates the holy space, and it was literally torn in two at the death of Jesus through his flesh, which the author of Hebrews is careful to point out. But through the blood and the flesh of Jesus, we literally have a new walkway into the holy place, into God's presence. And as we noticed last week, our hearts have been transformed so we get to be released from the fear and the trepidation and the panic that the Israelites felt. We can walk with confidence into the place where God is present. For the author of Hebrews, this is foundational for who the church is and who we are as followers of Jesus.
He says, since all of this is true, since we have a new way into the presence of God, since we have confidence to approach, since we're set free, we are to approach God with a true heart and full assurance. We are to hold fast to the confession of our hope. We are to provoke one another to love and good deeds. You see, we've entered a community of people marked by connection to Christ. And this community is a fragile one. In some ways, every community is fragile. It's fragile because we are sinful people, because we live in a broken world. And it is easy to give in to that sinful nature, to respond to others around us in self-serving ways instead of responding out of love and grace and mercy. And when we respond in those self-serving ways, the community that we're a part of, whether that's our family, our marriage, our school, our church, our workplace, those places start to break apart. We can also be very quick to forget the work of God in the world, the work of God in our lives. This is why Israel's so quick to shy away from God right after God delivers them. They stopped confessing who God is they worshiped the golden calf, and they turned to grumbling and doubting instead of turning to love and care for one another and connection with God. And so if Israel had those same difficulties, why would we expect that our community would be any less fragile, right? We need the power of God to sustain this community and not let our brokenness determine what this community is about. So we're going to examine together these marks of discipleship so that we can stand firm as the people of God and as the author of Hebrews would call us to. First, we are to seize the opportunity to enter God's presence. Let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This let us sounds like a encouragement or suggestion in English, but it's more like the force of a command or mandate for a group, for all of us. And in English, the best way we have to translate that is let us, but really it's you all do this. All three of these things we're going to look at are commands, not suggestions for us. And we are to approach God in full trust that we will be welcome because we have been cleansed. In the Old Testament, the people were often sanctified by the sprinkling of blood. And we have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, which has cleansed our hearts. The priests also washed their bodies clean with water before entering the temple. And we have been cleansed as well through baptism. So we have clean hearts and clean bodies and full confidence through the way of Jesus to enter into God's presence and see the fulfillment of God's proclamation in Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai, that he would be creating a kingdom of priests. So how can we not seize this opportunity? The question for us is, are we living out this mark of the community of God? Are we placing a priority on meeting with God as we go throughout our days? Are we committing ourselves to meeting God in worship? And if not, why not? What has taken a higher priority in our lives and what do we need to reconsider? Are we taking seriously the work that Christ has done to open the way for us to meet God in full assurance of faith? 
Second, we are to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's interesting to me that we're holding on to the confession of our hope, not the confession of our faith, which is probably what we talk of most often. Our faith, our trust in God in Hebrews, is what is bringing us to approach God. But it's our hope that we confess. Our world is not a place of great hope. It is a place where people do not expect good to win over evil and do not expect everything to work out well. But we are a people of hope who know that God is still at work in the world. Hope that God will continue the redemption of all creation that God has begun. And more than that, we don't just hold on to that hope, we confess that hope to others with conviction because God is faithful and God is trustworthy. So are we people of hope? Or have we allowed ourselves to get caught up in the cynicism of the world and forgotten the hope of the God who is faithful? Third, we are to push one another on to love and good deeds, which includes meeting together, and even more as the triumphs and tribulations of life that is always moving to the day of the Lord go we, that we go through. We live in a very individualistic society, and we think that everyone should mind their own business and leave everyone else to do what they want. We think that what others do isn't our responsibility and really isn't our business but the author of Hebrews sees it differently. We are to provoke one another to love. This isn't a simple suggestion for what we should be doing. This suggests a pushing and a prodding. You, know, you have a stubborn cattle and you need to poke it away it needs to go. You're provoking one another in the right direction to treat one another in loving ways, to respond to the world in the ways that Jesus would. And I suspect that this makes us uncomfortable because most of us wouldn't want to challenge our closest friends in these ways, let alone the person who just happens to be sitting next to us in church that perhaps we've never met or at least barely know. But again, this community is fragile if we do not pursue the work of God together. And we need one another to keep us going in the right direction because it's easy to go the wrong way it's easy to stop acting in love toward one another, in love towards the community. It's easy to lose trust and lose hope in the God who has redeemed us. And so because this, this path and this community are fragile, we're to gather together more, not less. We're to live our lives deeply embedded in the communion of saints, both the communion of saints present here in this place and the communion of saints throughout the world, the communion of saints throughout all time. We will revisit the communion of saints in just a couple of weeks. And Matthew Henry, the commentator says, the communion of saints is a great help and privilege and a good means of steadiness and perseverance. Hereby our hearts and our hands are mutually strengthened. Together, through the support and care and prodding and pushing of each other, we can walk in faithfulness into the life God has set before us. On this Communion Sunday, we have the opportunity to consider whether we are living out these three commands of faith, hope, and love, and to repent of ways that we have not lived them well. 
we have the chance to evaluate our commitment to the community created by the blood of Christ. And we are able to live out all of the three commands from this section as we move forward with communion. We are approaching the throne of God, confessing our hope in the liturgy and joining together with the communion of saints around the world who partake the body and blood of Christ. You do not need to be a member of this church or any church to partake of communion this morning. If you want to approach the throne of God, even if you're unsure what exactly that looks like, if you want to confess in hope the God who is faithful, even if you're not sure what hope or faithfulness looks like in your life, if you want to join the community of faith in the outgrowth of love, even if you're not quite sure how to love in that way, then you're invited to the table where you can discover the God who brings faith, hope, and love together. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.